Morning to you. Uh, I want to ask, think, think with me as we begin here. Have you ever been in a, a situation where somebody who wasn't as knowledgeable as you on a certain subject was trying to tell you how to do it? Like, uh, for example, I, not that Christine and I are like financial experts at all, but we've always had a budget. We've always stuck to it. And uh, there are times where I've had friends where like, we were like, oh, you know, have a, having a budget means you have to say no sometimes. You can't always do what you want to do. And so I've had friends that are like, oh, you should come out to eat. It's not that big of a deal. You shouldn't say no. Like, why aren't you coming? And, and I, I wouldn't say this to them, but sometimes I'm like, well, the reason I'm not coming is because I don't want to be like you. Like, you have a ton of debt and your financial situation is terrible. Like, I wouldn't say that because I'm a nice guy. But like, I thought that. Or last year, our, uh, my car died, and I thought we were going to have a few more years on it. So I was kind of bummed. I remember talking to somebody about it. I was like, yeah, we're trying to figure it out. I've never had a car payment before. I don't really want to have one. They looked at me like I was crazy. They are like, you're supposed to have a car payment. And they told me, not only am I supposed to buy, I was like, well, no, you can like buy good used cars and like save up and be wise so you don't have to. And like, not only should I buy a car, I should buy a brand new car and get a payment because it's actually weird not to have one. Like, that's not smart. And I remember thinking, again, that's like, I, you don't have to have a car payment. And if you could choose, like, wouldn't you rather not have one, right? Or maybe you're like super healthy. This isn't me, but I've had friends that are, and, you know, so you're really strict on your diet, what you eat. And there's been situations where somebody who was healthy really fit, like, wouldn't eat something, and their friends, someone else would be like, well, you should eat that. That's not that big of a deal. Like, why are you so strict? And I've thought, like, uh, you know, I, I, maybe they're strict, maybe they're not. I don't know, but uh, they look 10 times better than you and I do combined. So, like, I think that they know, like, I think it, I'd rather, on the air of, like, too strict, I, like, I'd rather air on what, uh, what they're doing and how they're eating and what they look like, okay? So, it's good, <laughs> right? Or maybe it's your job, you know, you've got someone who knew, who's new, doesn't understand how things work, and so you don't, you're, like, you're trying to say a situation, they're trying to give you answers, like, that's not... Like, that's not how it works, but you just don't understand. And if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I, uh, I can't think of a time like this. You may be the one that everyone else is thinking about. So there's, but here's why I, 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 uh, I, I bring that up, because we're, we're looking at this question this morning as we continue our series Masterclass. And that's this, is it possible to be spiritually wise? Is it possible to actually grow in our wisdom and understanding of God? It's not just kind of a random thing. We hope we're right. We're not quite sure. So that we can actually know how to grow closer to Jesus, uh, how to make right decisions. Is it possible to grow in wisdom and not be foolish? Or is it not? And if it is possible, how do we actually do that? That's what we'll be looking at this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, 1 Corinthians. If you don't have one, there's a black one around you you can use. And if you don't even own one, you can take one of those homes. That is our gift to you. Uh, we're in a series called Masterclass at week four, uh, written, uh, we're looking at, we're going through the book of First Corinthians written by the guy, a guy by the name of Apostle Paul, who really is kind of giving us a master class on life. He's talking about how the gospel uh, influences every area of our life. And for those of you that are uh, more astute and have been, a while, uh, been around since we started the series in January, you might be like, we're going through First Corinthians and we're four weeks in, we're not even after, out of chapter one and there's 16 chapters. Is it going to be a while? Yes, but it's going to be great. And, you know, in case you're like, oh, it's a long time, we're going to break it up a few times as we go through it. And, but that's what, that's what school is like, right? Sometimes it just takes a while, right? And you got to learn. But anyway, it's going to be good. Uh, so First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul starts by saying this. He says four. Now he's referencing verse 17 that we looked at last week. I'm going to just read it real quick. He says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. It's so what we saw last week is that the Corinthian church, there had been division that had come up, kind of pride had seeped in. People were attaching themselves to people and leaders instead of Jesus. And when Paul's saying that no, that's not what the gospel is about, the gospel is about trusting Jesus. And it's also not about being super smart and being super wise. So back in this time, uh, a rhetorical wisdom and you know public speaking, that was highly admired. And so if you could sound smart, if you could philosophize really well, 
well, if you could do these things, you were held in high regard. And what Paul is going to say is that we're going to read today, it's not about being smart. It's not about figuring everything out. It's not about leaning on your own strength. It's about trusting in Jesus who is wise. And that's what he's saying. So verse 18, he says this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Now, to try to give us some kind of context of what this would have sounded like, especially if you were a first, or first century Jew, um, about the foolishness of the cross, is Jesus, you know, comes, he doesn't do what many thought he was going to do. They thought he was going to establish a new kingdom on earth, and it was going to be like the good old days, and Israel would be safe and have their own king and all these things. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to forgive sins. Now he will come a second time to reestablish his kingdom. But that's not what he came to do the first time. And not only did he not do that, not only was he crucified and killed, but he was actually crucified and hung on a cross. And if you were a Jew, you believed that meant that you were cursed. So it sounded foolish to say that it's actually the wisdom and the power of God. So to try to explain what they might have felt like a little bit, even though it doesn't do it quite justice, think of it this way. Like, let's say that you were planning to have a wedding. And you and your spouse uh, plan to, on your wedding day, to hang out together all day, which traditionally you don't do that. And not only are you going to hang out, you're going to hang out with a bunch of black cats. Like you're just going to pet them. You're going to have a bunch of black cats everywhere. And uh, not only that, that you, you're going to plan your wedding on Friday the 13th. Um, you're going to do your vows under a ladder with your fingers crossed behind your back as you're doing them. And just for fun, you're going to break a mirror and get ready in front of a broken mirror the whole time, right? Why are we laughing? Because in our culture today, superstition would tell you that those things are bad luck. You kind of look at that and you'd be like, why would you actually do that? Now, the reality of the situation is that has nothing to do with how your wedding will go or how your marriage will go. Well, we just kind of assume that. We say, that's weird. Why would you do that? And if you amplify that times a lot of numbers, uh, that's what you would get. You'd be like, Really? And what Paul is saying here, it's the foolishness that that idea that he would come and give his life is foolish to those who are perishing and those who reject him, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. In other words, it's not some philosophy, it's not something for us to debate and talk about and sound smart, but instead, there's only two responses to this, that either what Jesus did for us on the cross is foolish, or it actually is the power of God to accomplish for us what we could not do on our own, that if we reject Jesus, what we're saying is what he did was actually foolish. Now, we may not actually say that because it sounds mean, but that is what we're actually saying. We're rejecting it because we don't think it's true. Like if somebody came to me and was like, oh, I believe in this religion or believe in this philosophy and you need to adapt it, I would reject it. I probably wouldn't say that's foolish because that's mean, but I would think it because I'm like, no, I'm not going to trust that. I don't, I don't think that's right. I think it'd be foolish for me to give my life to that thing. And what Paul is saying, either it is true or it's not. What Jesus did on the cross is the power of God or it is foolish. You and I have, uh, uh, have to decide what we think about that. And he continues in verse, nine, verse 19 by saying this, for it is written, now he's going to reference a passage in Isaiah chapter 29. He says this, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. What's going on there is the prophecy of what, how God was going to save humanity would be in a way that us and our wisdom would think is weird, and it is not smart, and it is not wise, but it's actually in that that God shows how great and powerful he is. And so here, here's the, the point uh, that I want us to understand. Here's what I, or in other words, here's what I want us to know as we look at this passage, and that's this, that wisdom is found in the power of God not the foolishness of man. Wisdom is found in the power of God and what he has done, not in the foolishness of humanity. And here's the thing, especially in our culture today, as much as like we like to say we use reason and logic and wisdom and rationality, 
Reality is, like, you and I, we're quite foolish, and we, we do a lot of irrational things. Like, let me just give you some examples, right? Uh, you know, one of the big things, one of the big sayings of our day today is, like, making sure that you do things that are on the right side of history. So it's not about, is this a right and good thing to do? It's just we want to make sure that history will judge us correctly, which is always funny to me because it's like, you're, you're trying to build your life on, on making decisions on what people who you will never meet and who will never actually know you personally will think about you. And the other problem with that is that history is a moving target, right? So if you lived in 1940s Germany, to you, history says racism and genocide is a good thing. So like, what, and when in history are we like trying to make decisions and based on who and all these things? And it's like, no, no, you and I ought to do what's right and what's good. What we think is right is good, not based on what someone who we never will know sometime in the future will think about us, right? And we do that even, even, as, even in everyday decisions, right? Like we are so consumed about what people will think that it changes certain decisions that we make. Now, let me give you a caveat before I give this example. I'm not saying that those who love you and care for you, like we should actually care about what they say. I heard this week, I thought it was great, that if more than one person who you love and you trust and who cares about you uh, tells you that you have a problem, then you probably do. Like if someone more than, if two people say, hey, I think you've got some anger, got some pride, whatever that is, that you and I, the wise thing to do would be to listen to that and to see what's going on. So I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about how we make decisions all the time based on what people think who don't even know. Like I remember talking to someone one time who was telling me that they went to a public bathroom and, you know, sometimes in handicap stalls, they have sinks, right? And so they went to the bathroom, they washed their hand in their sink, they walk out of the stall, and then they realize as they're leaving the bathroom, oh, wait, there's all these bunch of people who didn't know I washed my hands. So I'm going to go wash my hands again in front of everybody so that everybody knows I washed my hands, right? They've already done it, but they want to make sure that, that everyone knows that they're good, right? So we make decisions, we buy things, we, we do certain things, we don't do certain things based on what people that we don't even know, don't even care about, are going to think about us, right? So let me give you like a personal example of how we can be foolish. So give me your own personal example. Um, as you know, I'm a, I'm a thin guy, right? I don't have a big muscles hiding under the shirt like you may think, okay? So if anyone thought that, right? And so growing up, like I would sometimes get frustrated, like I didn't like it. I wish I wasn't, you know, wish I wasn't so thin. And so I tried a few different things, never really consistently, but I tried eating a lot, doing different things, and nothing really ever made a difference. But you want to know the one thing I didn't try? I never actually tried working out. And I'm not talking about like running and exercise, but I'm like talking about actually like lifting weights. And you want to know why I never did that? It was because I was worried what my friends or what other people would think of me because of like, oh, Dylan, he's so weak. And like, you could look at me and tell like, I'm not that strong. But when you actually see the weights, like there's something different there. So I, I never did that. I never tried working out because I was too afraid, even though that it would have been a right and good and just a healthy thing to do. I was like, I'm not going to do that because I'm worried what people are going to think if they see me, right? And what's so easy for us to think is, oh, well, that's just high school, Dylan. That's just us when we were kids. But I actually carry that same mentality into adulthood. In fact, uh, this summer, this past summer, my wife, uh, Christine, and I, we got a membership to the YMCA. Now, granted, even to this time, like I've ran a couple times and things, but I never actually worked out consistently. And it's not because I didn't want to or anything like that, but I was still afraid of what people would think. So we get a membership to the Y, and it's great because they have a pool, and they also have childcare, so Christina can go and work out and do work, and they'll watch our kids, and uh, that's awesome. And so we, we get a membership, right? And the first time I go to the Y by myself, not to go to the pool with our kids, was basically you go down the stairs and they have like their weight room and all this stuff, but upstairs they have, uh, they have a, gym, a basketball court. I didn't even walk down the stairs. I was so nervous about what, I don't know. So I just played basketball. The next three times I went, 
uh, basically how, when you, I did actually go down the stairs and how it's working out is like one side, there's like all the cardio treadmills and everything. And other side is like the weight machines, the free weights, scale machines, all those sorts of things. <laughs> I, the, the next three times I went, I just walked down the stairs and walked straight to the treadmill. I didn't even go to the other side because I was so worried that people would think I was like, didn't even know what I was doing, that I would look down. Now here, you realize that no one actually cares what you're doing, right? But you don't know that if you haven't ever gone. It took me, no joke, five times. It took me five times before I would even walk over there just to walk through the machines and then go back because I was so afraid of what people think, right? It took me five times. And now I go, you know, three times a week. That's how I've gotten so big, just so you guys know, right? But here's the thing about that. Here's why I share that story is that I was willing to risk my health and my future based on what people think. And you may be like, Dylan, that's kind of hyperbolic. That's too big. That's, I mean, you're young still, you're thin, but here's what we know, right? The habits you develop when you're young are really hard to break when you get older. And so I was willing to not do the healthy, good, and right thing, the thing that I actually wanted to do for so long because I was scared of what people who I did not even know would think about me. I was risking my health, uh, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my future grandkids because I did not do the right thing because I was being foolish. Why do I share that? Because some of us, maybe some of you, that is exactly how you've approached God, that you are too afraid to trust and give your life to Jesus because you are afraid of what people, what your family, what your friends may think when they find out. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you. I understand that there's, a, there's certain pressures there and it can be hard, but let me just encourage you with this. Do not waste your eternity and do not risk your soul based on what other people would think. That would be what scripture describes as foolish. Do not be like I was with my health. Do not do that with your soul. Do not do that with the grace God has for you. Do not be foolish. Actually trust in his wisdom, not in your own power to try to do it for yourself what you cannot do. That's what Paul is saying here, that you and I are foolish. You and I make bad decisions and we can trust in ourselves or we can actually trust in him. That's what he's saying. So if we continue in verse 20, he goes on by saying this, who is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of what is preached. What is Paul saying here? How do we know God? We do not know God through some self-discovery, through some spiritual retreat, through, through you know, trying to be a good person. We don't know God through, any, through philosophy, through some spiritual... We don't know God through any of those things. How do we know him? The only way we know God is how he has revealed himself to us. And he has revealed himself to us through Jesus. So again, it's not some spirituality. It's not some good works. Those things sound nice. Like it sounds nice to say all religions are the same. What Paul would say, as nice as those things sound, as wise as those things sound, that's actually foolish because that will not give you the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. I've shared this before, but I always think it's funny to the thing of like all religions are the same. Uh, one commentator wrote that all religions are the same except when it comes to God, heaven, hell, sin, salvation, and the afterlife. Right? They all teach radically different things. They actually teach radically different things. So for us to say they all go to the same place, they don't even know where this, the, the same place is not even the same place. They're all different ways of even how you get to wherever their places are. They're all different. It sounds wise, but it's actually quite foolish, which again is why Paul says this in verse 21, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is 
preach. And so what is the foolishness that he's talking about? He's talking about that the gospel that Jesus came and gave his life, died on a cross, and defeated sin by resurrecting, that is the foolishness of the cross, that the cross saves us, period. Now, it's not that the cross was, is actually foolish, but it's just that it appears like that to us because we are people that are, you get what you deserve, you be a good person, you don't forgive someone unless they come and ask for it. You know, we treat others how they treat us. And so to us, this idea that God would come in his grace and mercy, not because he needs us, but because he loves us, and he would come in the way that he did, appears foolish. And so here's the point, right? Here's the point. Here's why we need to trust in the power of God, not in our wisdom. Here's why. Because God's not found in the wisdom of the world, right? God is not found in the wisdom of the world. Now, I'm not talking about us being, you know, anti-intellectual and us not, you know, and us not using, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about wisdom in the sense of I can figure it out and I can do it on my own. That's what our wisdom says. And what we see is that God is not found in that. It's found in how he's revealed himself. It's found in the, the blood and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And what's funny is one of the other ways that we kind of like, like to make God, like we have this idea that God needs us. Not, not, God, not, 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 not that we need God, but that God needs us. I was talking to someone this week who has a friend. That here's how we do this, right? And it's actually quite foolish when you actually sit there and think about it. Um, he has a friend who's an atheist. And he was saying his friend ha- who does not believe in God has a scientific experiment that he's going to do, I guess, at some point. I don't know. And, and based on if how God responds to that scientific experiment will determine whether or not God exists. And here's how the experiment basically goes. Basically, he's going to have God uh, strike lightning down wherever, someplace, at a certain, certain, time, certain specific time. Where he, and the guy's going to see it. He's going to be next to it. Which, okay, that sounds like something that we all do. But not only that, or something that we all like, would like to do. But not only that, not only is God going to strike lightning down where he tells God to do it, when he tells God to do it, but then there's going to be like this formation or this image that's going to come up in the ground to show him that God has existed. I'm thinking... Dang, okay. And it gets better. Not only that, because it's a scientific experiment, God is going to have to do it a second time, hit that same place whenever that God determines, and the same exact image is also going to form on the ground the second time. And as I'm, think, as I'm listening to this the first time, the first thing I'm thinking, I was like, how arrogant are we? And I'm not, this is not like a judgment or condemnation on that person, but we, we so often think that God needs us, and God is like a genie in the bottle. He better do what we do, what we want him to do, and better act in the way that we act, or else we're not going to trust in him. And what Paul is saying is that God is not a puppet. God does not need us, and yet in his wisdom and mercy and grace, he came for us. He doesn't operate in the way we think he should operate. He is wise, and it is in our, it is in our perceived wisdom that actually can shows us that we're actually fools because we're not trusting in him. We're trusting in ourselves. So remember, again, God is not found in the wisdom of the trying hard and going to figure it out on my own. It's found in the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so Paul continues in verse 22 by saying this, for Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So he's about to explain, or he's explaining here, how the Jews and the Greeks, those are not non-Jews, Gentiles, uh, how they view what Jesus has done. So here is why, and I've already explained it a little bit, why the Jews thought it was foolish, that not only did Jesus not do what they thought he was going to do his first time coming, but he was, uh, he was crucified on a cross. That to them made no sense that this all-powerful God who was supposed to come and rescue them 
Not only does he die, but he's, he dies in a way that they believed is cursed, and so they thought that was foolish. Or from a Gentile, Greek, a non-Jewish perspective, because there is Jews and non-Jews that have made up this church in Corinth, uh, they thought it was foolish because in their minds, which is the same kind of thing that we think about today, is that how could all, the all-powerful, mighty God, how could the pinnacle of his strength be revealed in dying on a, as a crucified criminal on a cross? Like That makes no sense. Like why would, You're telling me to trust in this guy who gave his life up, who died on the cross, even, you know, if you read the, read the story, even the, uh, the, the Roman guards who are crucifying Jesus hanging on the cross, what are they saying? Can't you save yourself? Aren't you God? Like they're thinking, as we would have thought, that you are actually weak, that you're actually not strong because you're dying on the cross. That's actually weak and foolish. If you're God, you could stop it. But what we actually know is because he's God, that's why he chose to die and to live the life that he chose to live. And the point here, here's the point. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do when we read this passage, that we need to trust in the wisdom of God. So it's not about God doing things the way we think he should do them or the way that we would do them if we were him in our limited perspective and our limited knowledge. What we're seeing here, what Paul is telling us is to trust in God's wisdom. In other words, trust in God's power. And what is God's wisdom and God's power? Revealing Jesus to live the life that we could not live, to give his life on the cross, to die for us so that anybody who trusts in him can experience the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus. In other words, we've got to trust in him and not ourselves. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. It's not about you and what you do and trusting in people. Is trusting in him, which is why he says this in verse 24. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, so he's showing us here that God came and died for everybody, not a certain ethnic group, not a certain socioeconomic class, that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can receive the mercy of him, both Jews and Greeks, every single one of us. Here's what, here's what he says to those that are called, to those that believe, that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So God is, Jesus shows us God's power because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and he shows God's wisdom that it's not about us figuring it out and doing everything on our own, but it's trusting in him, right? And here's one of the reasons why we need to trust in God and his wisdom and not our own, okay? Here's why. Because you will never experience the power of God in your life outside of Christ. You and I will never experience the power of God in our life outside of Christ. So again, it's not about some, uh, some spirituality. It's not about being a good person and holding on to our New Year's resolutions and all these sorts of things. No, if God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, and that's the first step to knowing him, that we have to trust in Jesus. And if you want God and his spirit's power in your life, you have to go through the ways that he's made it possible. How has he revealed himself? In Christ. Not again, not in you trying to figure it out some way, not you trying to do something. If you want the power of God to change your life, You've got to know Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. That is what Paul is saying here. And so he concludes the last verse that we'll read today is by saying this in verse 25. Here's why you need to trust in him. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Now, when he says God's foolishness and weakness, he's not saying that God on his worst day is better than us on our, on our best day because God has no bad days. What he's saying there is that foolish and weakness is synonymous with the cross, that we perceived it to be weak, we perceived it to be wisdom or to be foolish, but in that, that is actually where God's power is displayed. That is actually where his wisdom is shown. And here, here one commentator by the name of C.K. Barrett talking about this passage, he wrote this. He says, what God has done in Christ crucified is a direct contradiction of the human ideas of wisdom and power, right? Like you get what you deserve, you try to dominate people, you try to be in charge, no, no one can touch you, no one can hurt you. But that's not what Jesus did. Instead, yet yeah, it achieved what human wisdom and power 
fail to achieve. Think about it this way. If God is perfect, loving, just, and powerful, and good, he has to do something with our sin. He has to do something with our shame. He can't just be like, oh, it doesn't matter, right? And so what he does, he sends Jesus to accomplish for us what we could not do in our own power, that we could not be perfect, we could not be sinless, and yet that is what Christ has done. He lived the life we could not live so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can experience the grace and mercy of God. It is through that act that we often think is foolish that actually gives us the power to be saved. It did exactly for us what we often on the surface level thinks it, think it cannot do, cannot do. And so here's why, again, here's another reason why we need to trust in the wisdom of God and not our own strength and not our own power. Because trusting in human wisdom will make you a fool. And let me explain what I mean by this. Trusting in human wisdom will make you a fool. First of all, again, I'm not saying that we need to be anti-intellectual and just have blind faith. What's actually interesting, if you look at scripturally, you know, you know human, uh, a human language kind of evolves and meanings kind of change over time. So when we talk about having faith or belief in God, a more, a more accurate, a literal, I guess, translation of what the scripture writers meant by that was actually trust. So it's not like blind faith and blind belief in the midst of all odds that I think it's going to be true. He's like, so you actually need to trust and you trust based on evidence, right? So like if you have someone who, who uh, you know, asks you to lend them some money, the, the willingness for you to lend the money based, goes based on how, often, how much you trust that they're actually going give it, to give it to you, right? So you, you trust based on evidence, not based off some belief. Like if someone comes up to me and says, you know, UNC is better than Duke, I'm like, you have blind faith. Like that's not, you got to trust based on evidence that we all know Duke is the best team this year, right? And I could go on, but I'm not going to, okay? But that's the point, right? So he's saying, no, 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 don't just like believe blindly, believe, you know, without any faith. I actually kind of see, like, can this be trusted? Can scripture be trusted? What do we know about Jesus? Did he actually do what he said he was going to do? And if you trust in yourself and trying to figure out everything on your own and being the best version of you possible, new year, new you, like you will fall short. You and your power cannot do for you what God did for you. And he didn't do it because he needs you. He did it because he loves you. God does not need us, and yet he loves us, which means it is so amazing what he actually did. And so we need to trust in his wisdom, not in ours, because it'll make us a fool. And just so we can define our terms so we're all on the same page, here's the definition of foolish. Here's what happens when we trust in our wisdom. Foolish means we're lacking good sense or judgment. In other words, it's unwise. And here is why, if it is true that Jesus did for us what he claimed to do, why it is foolish for us to reject him. Because what we're doing is we're saying, I don't need your grace. I don't need your forgiveness. I am good on my own. Rejecting Christ is actually the foolish thing to do if he is the only one that can give you the grace and mercy of God. That is why he came. So you and I should not be foolish. We should not do what I did and risk our futures and our eternities and our souls like I did with my health because I was afraid of what other people were going to think. I was too afraid to actually go for it and experience it on my own. That, that if you look at my situation, like Dylan, that is foolish, that you and I should not be foolish when it comes to Jesus. And what's fascinating about this whole idea of foolishness and trusting Jesus and giving your life to him, uh, there's a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. You may have heard a story. He has a movie, probably has a book written about him. His wife was uh, Elizabeth Elliott. She was well known as well. Uh, he, uh, in the 1940s, went to Wheaton College, was studying to become a missionary, praying, planning to uh, go to Ecuador. And in the 50s, him and uh, five other couples, or four other couples, they move to Ecuador, start learning the language, and they start making contact with this native tribe that no one has ever made contact with outside that tribe because they kill everybody that comes close to them. So they're doing all these things. They're studying. Uh, they drive these air, like I think they're biplanes, just like small airplane, and they would like drop like baskets of like food and all these things to kind of show that they were friendly and they were good, right? And so he, he's going to give his life to this thing or to these people to give them, to bring the message of the good news of the gospel to them. Now, here's what what happens with Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot is actually killed. 
He's actually killed by these same people. The first time they ever actually make contact, they've done all these things, they've uh, shown them that they're friendly, they land. Uh, Jim, uh, Jim Elliott is speared to death. So him and all the, the four other men with him, they're all speared to death, they're all killed the first time they actually make contact with these people. And as he was planning to be a missionary, it's kind of even things that missionaries that, uh, in other countries get today, is that people would often say to him, that's foolish. Like, why would you give your life to it? Now, here's what's fascinating as a side note, that the guy that actually kills Jim Elliott, a long story short, they sent some other people and they eventually make contact with this tribe. A lot of them come to know Jesus. And later on, this man that actually kills Jim Elliott tells his wife that I was the one who killed him. Now, this guy actually becomes a Christian, which is absolutely fascinating. And he said, I knew, I knew at this point that they were friendly because he was one of the people that would kind of like go to these baskets. He said, I knew that they were friendly. I knew that they weren't going to harm us, but I, I didn't want them to come. And so I told my tribe that they were enemies so that we would go and kill them. So that's just, that's just fascinating, right? But here's the thing. So Jim Elliott's hearing, you know, don't do this, don't do this. Why would you give your life? Here's what Jim Elliott writes in his diaries. It's a true story. He writes it in his diary in the late 40s before he moves to Ecuador based off a passage of Luke. And Luke, and here's what he says. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And here's how the gospel flips foolishness on his head. Like in our life, we're told, live the way you want to live and do whatever you want to do. And what's Jim Elliott saying? He's like, no, I'm going to give my life up because I can't keep it anyway. Like you and I are going to die and I'm going to give my life to Jesus so that one day I can enter his kingdom where there's no more pain, suffering, death. There's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to give my life to that so that I can get what cannot be taken away from me. And it's actually the opposite is actually true, that when we live for ourselves and our own desires, it's actually foolish because you and I will will not live forever. You and I one day will meet Jesus face to face. And we're going, what are we going to say? I'm a great person. I'm going to do all these things. Or we're going to fall down and say, Jesus, thank you for the grace and mercy you've given for me. This man was killed before he ever even made contact, like actually got to speak with anyone in this tribe. And what is he saying before this happened? It is not foolish for me to give my life to this because I cannot keep my life anyway, but I can, uh, but I can lose my soul and I do not want to do that. So I'm going to give my life, my soul to Jesus and see what God God does with that. And so if it is true that Jesus does did for us what we could not do for ourselves, here is why we need to trust in his wisdom. Here's the bottom line, lesson four of Masterclass this morning, and that's this, that the wisdom of God begins where our wisdom ends. The wisdom and the power of God begins where our wisdom ends. Again, this is not an anti-intellectual thing. This is not a, I'm going to kind of believe in blind faith or I'm going to, no, this is when we actually understand and our, our wisdom tells us we can make it on our own. I'm good enough. I don't have any problems. I don't have any weaknesses. I don't have any struggles, which we all know is untrue, which we talked about that last week. That if we actually want to see the wisdom of God's power in our life, it begins where our wisdom ends, where we stop trying to pretend that we have it all together, that we don't need his grace and his mercy. It says this again in verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Again, here's the gospel that we've, that we've talked about today. That Jesus, the life that you and I could not live, died the death that you and I deserved so that when we put our trust in him, we get the grace and mercy of God and what he's done for us. And it's not about us trying to earn it anymore. It's not about us trying to be the best people possible so that God will love us more. It's simply trusting in his wisdom and what he has done. And the question for you and for I is, are we going to trust and lean into that 
Or are we going to lean in our own strength? And if you're here this morning and you're like, oh, I believe in Jesus, I've already trusted in him. What areas, that we talked about last week, what areas in your life do you need to trust in him more and lean into him more and not in your own strength and not in your own understanding? The answer to the question that we began this morning with, is it possible to grow in spiritual wisdom? The answer is yes. And it begins, we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we let Jesus transform our life instead of trying to do it on our own. The wisdom of God begins where our wisdom ends. And the question is, are you putting your strength in your own wisdom or in God's? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, for giving us the love and the redemption um, and the forgiveness. God, thank you in your wisdom, even though you did not need us, you still came because you loved us, which shows us just how great and magnificent you are. Um, it shows us just how amazing the gospel is, that you give every single one of us the opportunity to respond. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, you give every single one of us the opportunity to turn to your grace and your forgiveness, and that we get to know, and we can know, that no one is too far gone for you and for your love. And so my prayer for all of us here this morning is that we would build our life not on our wisdom, but on your wisdom. That we would put our hope and trust not in ourselves, but in you, because you are the only one that doesn't change. And you're the only one that loves us just as we are. And so God, my prayer again this morning is that we would trust that, that if we do know you, that we would allow you to change our lives, that we would grow in our wisdom of you. And if we have questions, if we're not quite sure, that maybe today's the day that we understand and that we recognize that you loved us where we are and we need to stop trying to figure out and do it on our own. So God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your undeserved mercy. And again, my prayer is that we would build our life on your power and on your gospel and on your wisdom and not on our own efforts. In Jesus' name I pray.